Hello friends, welcome to the 8th house of astrology, ruler of occult, magic, mystery, and truth. Join me, Sarah, a developing psychic medium with a scientific mind, and my good friend Eliza, a tarotist and thanatologist, as we explore through the lens of the tarot, the healing hidden within the deepest and sometimes the darkest corners of the human experience. Um, so, Eliza, today we're going to talk about consciousness and some of the topics I've been delving into recently around what it is, where it comes from, what it means. So I'm wondering if you're willing to share with me your operational definition of consciousness. What is it to you? Wow, um, that is really interesting because recently I have been looking more into Animism. Animism to me is the same as consciousness in that it is the belief that everything is filled with a spirit, um, with a consciousness, with a soul. And I'm sort of using those terms interchangeably. Um, there's the term sentient, um, maybe just having feeling, awareness. But I don't know if that really covers it because I feel like. I, I feel like everything is imbued with with spirit, with life, with um, consciousness. I mean, that's just the best way to describe, ironically, what I've just been really looking into in animism, is that everything is consciousness. It's everything. It's, it's in everything, and we're a part of it, and it's a part of us, and that's why it was really hard for Native people to even see that they couldn't know a different way. That was just how they saw things. So a Western mind saw this and was like, oh, let's call this something. And, of course, the people themselves had no idea that they were doing that. It was just the natural function of being alive as a part of the universe. And so I have that. That's how I see things. And so I don't understand when, <laughs> like, it's weird. In our in our yard recently, we've been having trouble with the uh, landscape crew, and we've like looked into a new one. And apparently, they said, "Okay, we we can't give you quotes on all these exact things because we do what the yard calls for." And I'm like, "Yes," and he's like, "Yes." I'm like, "That's what we're talking about. Like, you base it on what the thing is telling you, the messages it's conveying, and that's because that thing has." That entity has a consciousness. Anyway, long-winded. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> well, let's see. So the most common definition I found for consciousness says the awareness or perception of something by a person. So that's that's limiting it to only people have consciousness. And so I would push back on that and say I see everyone mm -hmm. as people. Mm -hmm. Everyone mm -hmm. is a person. <laughs> yeah. So you just made me think of my... Um, mother-in-law who who talks to inanimate objects and assigns them names and personalities and it's I just love it I love that part of her because it really it just speaks to the art of life and the fact that there is energy in literally everything and I feel like she's one of those people who's 
super in tune with the essence of a thing, whether it's a painting or um, a stuffed animal. You know, it's like, I just love that. So Yeah. I mean, with my mom, when I was little, I, um, her, I can't remember if I already shared this story. So I, it was with peas. She tried to get me to eat peas when I was little because I hated eating. And the only way she could figure out for me to do it was to appeal to my already. I, it's like, which came first? Was I like that? Or did she make me like that by doing this? I don't know. But I think it was kind of both. But she would say, okay, okay. Somehow she would sneak in the first one. Then she'd be like, oh, my goodness. Now the pea brother is down there all by himself missing his brothers, you know, and I would go, Oh no and I would so I would be oh, compelled to eat the whole spoonful of peas, yeah. <laughs> like even a cooked pea might have consciousness going through it. You know? Um so that's in that respect I feel like consciousness is the life force that presents itself as awareness when it's flowing through a being with the ability of awareness. And so that's another question is, do all beings with consciousness have awareness or does do all things with consciousness? Um, and another definition I found is the fact of awareness by the mind of itself and the world. Consciousness emerges from the operations of the brain. Okay, so that is the statement that we'll be probably talking a lot about today because there is a movement in the scientific community trying to move away from that dogmatic approach because we've just we just assume that consciousness is is created by the mind or the brain rather in a materialistic view of the world and there are so many scientists saying that is contradicting the whole idea of science by approaching a scientific theory with the assumption that consciousness is created inside the human brain. Like, we don't actually know that. We know that the human brain uses consciousness in, you know, that's that's what they understand. They've studied that, but they have no idea where it could possibly be created inside of the human brain. There is, in fact, there's more evidence to suggest that consciousness is not created by the brain, that it's more likely our brain was somehow created by consciousness so i just in thinking of it from a thanatological perspective and life and death um there are fascinating theories that abound about when the soul leaves the body does that mean the consciousness has also left and there are many ideas to say they that those two things aren't the same thing like there's a part of the brain that actually does hold the consciousness what is that? That's wild. <laughs> and then it's like, what is the animating factor if not the spirit of something? Yeah, I think the beliefs around what consciousness is and where it comes from are probably limitless. You know, there's just so many different ideas out there. But I wanted to share another kind of common knowledge definition I found. The state of being awake and aware of one's surroundings. Okay. Isn't that interesting how we think that or that again with this kind of anti-scientific mm -hmm. wonder, this materialistic type viewpoint that consciousness has to be when we are awake mm -hmm. or wakeful, like literally like so meaning not the subconscious. Yeah. That's and what it implies. So 
I don't know. So that's the, a whole other thing is like, where does the subconscious fit into the conscious? Yes, the subconscious. Is it the same <laughs> as consciousness? Is it a byproduct of consciousness? Is, you know, we have these words to describe. It's, it's sometimes when I, when I think about where words come from and where um, definitions come from, it just kind of has, to, it just makes me laugh because we just assume because we've called it the subconscious and we've done studies on it, that, that it's exactly what we think it is. Like we say subconscious when really we have no idea what it actually is. We know that it's a part of our being that holds information in a place where it's not automatically accessible to us. That's our subconscious. And I remember one of the most memorable research articles I read when I was a psychology student was um, a New York Times literature review um, titled, Your Unconscious Mind May Be Smarter Than You Are. I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but I mean, it was an older article when I was reading it in like 2002. So I think it's from 94. Um, So I'm sure there's more current research on the topic, but it was pretty much reviewing two or three studies where a group of people were selecting answers to questions at complete random as far as they were concerned. But there were like these super complex rules underneath where their unconscious minds picked up on and started to click according to those patterns. None of them knew that they were doing anything other than just randomly selecting. It's kind of like when you know the song that's coming on the radio of it being more of a subconscious awareness versus say a psychic ability because ah, you're so sub- some of us are more in tune with that part of us that is not conscious that's just smarter than us that it already knows this stuff. Yeah, so like, you know, you might have heard that song four weeks ago and it happened in this kind of order that you weren't really aware of consciously, Mm. but your subconscious mind is like, I know that Elvis is going to come on right now because blah, blah, blah. So when you start thinking about Elvis and then it comes on the radio, you think I'm psychic. And I'm not saying that it's that you're not, but some of that is the function. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And that's why, you know, hopefully this, this idea of, psychic ability will just become the new standard for understanding what the human body is is capable of and what it means to be connected to a universal system of consciousness and awareness. Yeah, and I like that you're um, calling it our bodies because so far as we know, it is contained in our bodies, in our brains, and then, but what I don't understand is why... Um, it has to be called subconscious as if it's inferior, <laughs> you know? Right. I think it probably, <laughs> I think it means like under oh, in yeah. this context, yeah. you know, like under a veil. Yeah. <laughs> That's kind of interesting. You could say so, but I, mm-hmm. I think it's offensive. I, I, well, I think it speaks to that whole, you know, like the unknown, the hidden yeah. is bad. It's, Right. It's not as worthy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, so one of the the things I really wanted to talk about today 
is this effort, I, I believe it started around 2008, but there is a list of 400 doctors and doctors of philosophy, medical doctors, um, doctors of psychiatry, who have signed this manifesto for a post-materialist science. And so they're really trying to say, look, we really need to move forward and admit that forming theories around ideas of consciousness not being created by the brain, because we, we have no evidence to suggest that it, it is. Those are just guesses because we're not willing to explore the other possibility that the brain is actually a evolved creation of consciousness, you know, like the human brain and everything else with matter. Like yeah. um, materialism says matter is the only reality. And to me, that just sounds so silly because, you know, and so some people are trying to move toward a more not non-materialist science where we can at least say, well, what if consciousness is not created by the human brain? What if consciousness is a non-local phenomenon, meaning the origin of consciousness is outside of the human brain? Yeah, I agree. I, I do think that's studied a lot in, in mm. thanatology, you know, and in death studies because, yeah, it's so perplexing, like what happens mm -hmm. when the mind ends. When the like, what is the mind? When the brain ends, where is mm -hmm. the consciousness? Well, now? that's the thing, though. I mean, there may be studies, but there really aren't. I well, mean, they're they're, just they're not theorizing, and that's just making crap. They're up, not being you know? accepted by publications because they mm -hmm. represent an approach to research that is non-materialist, and for some right. reason, their ideas around the continuation of life, that it doesn't exist, when really the actual science points to the fact that it's so, it's time, it's worth exploring, in fact, not exploring things that sound woo-woo or, or um, whatever is, is the exact opposite of what the scientific method was, was actually designed to explore. And think of the healing that could occur and just the answers and the truths that could be the just reassurance for this whole existential angst oh, yeah. that we all deal with, you know, like, oh, it just turns off and then it goes here, yeah. you know, like it's all continuous. In it's like electricity it's like right and it's not even asking people to change their beliefs it's just saying just consider just be willing to consider that it's possible so that we can move forward in figuring out what the heck consciousness is and what is awareness it's, you know it's so fundamental now that you bring it up it's like no one talks or thinks about it it's kind of how i thought about death and why i was interested in studying it it's like Right. Wow. What gives us life and thought and awareness and no one ever talks about it. Exactly. And that's <laughs> yeah. why I really feel like it's time to talk about it. It's time to talk about it and not worry about what people are going to think of you when they find out that you might believe in life after death. Like, um, because that still is a big issue. I mean, so one of well, my... Does that come, is that, would you say that directly comes from the belief that consciousness continues after death? I mean, is that life after death? Oh. Is that kind of one and the same? I think so. 
I think yeah. so. Because... Now that you put it like that, or I put it like that, whoever put it like that. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Everything yeah. is so subjective. Like, what is life? Like, when I ask you what life is, you're going to have a yeah, different answer than me. Started out, right. You could have started <laughs> out with that, whereas I would have been like, exactly. oh, sentient? Consciousness? Yeah. You know? <laughs> like, yeah. And that's, and that's like... That's the mind blowing thing. To, yeah. Like yeah. everyone will have a different answer there. And that's the other thing. There is no, there, there might not be one answer to what life is. The and answer. I love, I love different forms of speech. Like, so I'm thinking we well, could look at it like life as a noun, a verb, you know, like yeah. living, what is living versus what is life. I mean, yeah, there's so many ways to view it in the context of other things. Like, that's another thing. There's life on other planets, possibly. And then, yeah, that goes into a whole other thing that I was fascinated with as a kid. Because that would have, if you'd asked me what is life when I was a kid, and I was super into space and the idea that there was life on other solar systems or this solar system in different ways on different planets and celestial bodies, it was like, um, yeah, that would be a whole different examination into life yeah oh i'd say i mean especially if life can be best described as the collective awareness of all living things that means stars that means mother earth that means planets that means gravity you know like the collective understanding of everything that is experiencing life in this moment is feeding our reality yeah okay reality is another great word i was thinking of organism but mm, that would only mm-hmm. be for like how do you define life because in the animistic worldview, it could be a rock and technically that is not an organism because it doesn't have lip it's like i think it, isn't it a living organism is what's thought of as an organism yeah i mean i types? think biology like you have to in order to be an organic thing you have to have at least one cell and be alive some kind of cellular oxygen exchange or something yeah Probably has to end at some point, too. Right, That's right. probably part of the definition. Okay. There's, that's the thing, is, is consciousness could very well be flowing through every single thing. Your computer, you know, um, I mean, every... Well, then is it just energy? Is consciousness energy? I think, I mean, I... Because I do think everything has energy, but I, I don't know if scientifically it could be defined as life. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't but know. But I, I think anything could... Fit could be said to have energy. Yeah, like is matter required for living? You know, like I don't think so. So I think definitely the energy is in everything. Well, that's a question. I mean, you know, there's words like prana, there's words like chi, you know, that describe that the life, life force. force. Right. And is that the same thing as consciousness? You know, like that's Or energy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think energy's in it all. I think it has to be. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. So I did want to just talk a little bit more about the manifesto for for a post-materialist science. Let me just let me just read just the first um Please. Yeah, o- opening opening paragraph of this manifesto. It says, "Science is first and foremost a non-dogmatic, open-minded method of acquiring knowledge about nature through the observation, experimental investigation, and theoretical explanation of phenomena." 
Its methodology is not synonymous with materialism and should not be committed to any particular beliefs, dogmas, or ideologies. I agree. And, and I think a lot of people who identify as a skeptic typically try to use scientific research as their base for truth. But if that scientific research was done through excluding the possibility of something else, like it's not, it's not real science. And, or it's not, it's not that it's not real science, but it's um, biased science. And how, and falls short right. of being thorough. And, yeah, exactly. Um, anything that you're, that's coming up in your mind while I'm talking about this? Well, honestly, my tarot of physics deck kept coming up in my mind. <laughs> but just because in talking about materialism and matter and just to tie in the tarot, when you talk about the elements, that's what they do in this deck is they use the elements. There's solids, gas, liquids and ether, and so I think those are the states of matter. So I guess that's what I meant when I said that things still can still exist or have energy when they are not matter, not material. So I'm, I'm thinking of things like hauntings, ghosts, um, energies that remain when the matter is no longer there, but mm. the echo or the echo of the energy is still there, um, similar to what Thomas Edison was studying, where he um, could record ghostly activity with, Mm -hmm. you know, that was one of Mm -hmm. his last projects that was. And that's one of the questions is how much of our physical energy are we leaving behind in our things when we leave, you know, like my clothes. How, you know, that's why you hear of possessed objects or haunted objects, because, you know, the, the energy of the things in your home holds that of the people who made it, the people who were devoted to it by, you know, we show places, land. Right. I mean, yeah. we say the word, this word devotion, when really all devotion means is how much of our energy are we investing in this thing, this, this idea? Well, it kind of explains why I love, I'm not, a very materialistic person. I don't like things in general, but I love the idea of linking objects. And I can't believe we haven't brought this up in your work as a medium. Um, Like I have, when you gave me the mediumship reading and my friend Nate showed up, I didn't think to ask beforehand. I was like, I have his set of clothes with, the last set of clothes he was wearing Mm. before he was cremated. But what I wondered is if something like that would help facilitate the connection to happen in a mediumship. Personally, I can't say that I've graduated into that level of, of connection. I mean, when I was really young, you know, I was... When I walked into a room, I would have this just immediate impression of... yeah things that went down in that room you know it's it's very similar to that so it's it's yeah I just meant to ask you that Tyler Henry one of my favorite mediums who is now a Netflix star which is kind of amazing um super rad but that's one of his main methods of connecting um is Mm. is through holding objects that were dear to the people who passed 
Um, so, I love that. so yeah, I mean, and it has more to do too with like when you are connected to someone so much, when you've been devoted to another person's happiness and when they were alive, there is you, there's a lot of your energy in that person's mm-hmm. things as mm-hmm. well. And so, isn't that interesting? Yeah. So we're almost like reconnecting with that. That's what I, I remember talking about that in terms of like when animals pass, mm. it comes back to me because of all that I've devoted to them. Yes, right. Like full circle. Yeah, that's so interesting. And, you know, if you're someone who feels just like this, this feeling in your home of like other people's energy, you know, that, that could yeah. very well be... Um, a possibility um and so intentionally working with that energy which means like having a relationship with it you know acknowledging it and then saying like look this is this energy is not is not mine to to process like i'm i've got enough stuff (laughs) you know um my own stuff (laughs) right yeah with the statue that i have which i love that my mom purchased for me at a thrift store like I actually keep the energy that that's in her you know like I I know that someone else's love yeah, and devotion yeah. was in there and I because I can tell like it really feels like I'm sharing her with whoever it was and I'm okay with yeah. that well now I'm seeing your interest in vintage <laughs> housewares and clothing because you can get that opportunity I love vintage mm-hmm, jewelry mm-hmm. for instance yeah totally. so I worked at a, a state jewelry store um and being in the like yeah yeah I, was, I wanted to go into that like maybe we should do that together that so cool. <laughs> yes yes so it was like when I was proposed to Chad used his great-grandmother buys actual wedding ring mm-hmm. and it fit me it was like incredible fate type mm-hmm. thing and then we went to look for a matching classic antique simple silver band for him Mm -hmm. as well as me because I didn't have a band so that's when being the me that I am I'm like I love this place can I have a job can I please work here and they said yeah we're actually looking for a a receptionist so sometimes I wonder if what calls me to a certain object in a store is the energy around it yeah maybe even the owners that are like hey come on come grab this because i want someone to love it too you know yeah i I don't totally think so um Mm -hmm. i mean and i and the thing is like i've heard so many ghost stories around haunted objects and i'm like if i'm gonna be haunted by an i mean there are so many pieces of vintage clothing in my closet or i mean everything (laughs) in my everything i own is secondhand and and I've never really um, had a strong feeling that someone else's energy that was connected to something that I own was there. And I'm kind of glad about that. Yeah, uh, that might know, be overwhelming. But, yeah. Yeah. And, and maybe I'm, I'm really sensitive to it, could be. Cause like, I'm I, sure you are. But I feel like, I mean, one of my, I feel like clairsentience, which is like feeling the frequency of energies around you. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's one of the things that I'm really connected with. So I just wonder if... Like how how much of the energy is really retained in that object, maybe is yeah, what you're asking. Or if it, or if, like, because you would think you would feel more of it. 
And yeah. yeah, exactly. And I just wonder if my openness, my energy does something to maybe dissipate any any hard feelings around it or any heavy energy. Yeah, I totally think so. Um, yeah. You know, if I was like abusing someone's object that used to be super loved, like maybe I would feel it then. Like maybe it's because I obviously love all of the things that I have <laughs> in my home that whoever owned it before doesn't mind. I, I have no idea. Yeah. I have no idea. And then there's this other, there's another story where I I got a couch off of Facebook Marketplace Mm -hmm. and found, in cleaning it out, I found a wedding band. Mm. I sent it to the person Mm -hmm. because, of course, I had their address because I had to get the thing picked up and delivered and wrote a sweet note. I found this and no response. And she had been so thorough about telling me all about the couch and what it had been through and stuff. And I... As I do, go, oh, crap, did I put my foot in my mouth and expose something that should, you know, like my hunch was like, oh, God, I just told her her husband cheated on her or something, you know, like, you know what I mean? Uh, But, yeah, just these weird mysteries. That's really cool. I mean, kind of. (laughs) Um, And that just goes to show the the energy exchange between two people surrounding an object exactly i mean <laughs> yeah. what if that woman said yeah. oh well let me sh-, you know and then you would have had more invested in the story and it's just our our thoughts matter our words matter the things that and they are matter yes exactly <laughs> i had yeah. this lyric when i was in this little band little fan (laughs) um but i wrote this line i remember it was uh can you read in the dark with an intuition book words that we speak dissolve in the air because i was really interested in this idea that what if i could just like i felt like i should be able to just pick up a book and read it and not have to worry about like cramping my neck and trying to see under a lamp and i'm like god why can't i just pick up the book and read it and not have to worry about having light to see it, you know? Yes. <laughs> and then I started thinking about, and that's another thing. Like, what if I just talk? Where do the words go? Are they still there? <laughs> so I tried to weave it into that lyric. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> it kind of, you know, goes back to the age-old saying of if a tree falls in the woods... Does it exactly. make a and no one's around to hear it? Does it make a sound? Or, and it, and it's that what's that physicist name? Schrodinger particle theory of um, a particle, a light particle or a photon, can be can act as either a single particle or a wave of light, and mm. depending on whoever is observing it in that moment. So like, it's this. Yeah. It's like, and if that's true, if that's true then reality literally is whatever we perceive it to be at any given moment. And right. And same with our subconscious. Like, why do we not believe the things we see in our dreams? Um, it, yeah, exactly. Why, how is it different? And that brings me to, um, unless do you have something else to say on that topic? Well, on that, on that, I talked to Monica Bodursky who, of the Shadowlands. Mm-hmm. Oh, it was fascinating. And she explained that by something I'd never heard of, similar to astral projection. Because we were talking about when you see something in a dream, my mom has said, like, um, 
she'll be hearing Italian in her dream and and totally understand it. And then like, how did I do that? I don't even know what. She'll wake up and not understand what she heard, but she was like, I know what that was saying. They were saying in a dream. I love that. And yeah, so I dreamt about an X, and I was obsessed with the letter X. And then we went on a trip, and I saw that same thing. It was like a campground symbol, but I was like, that's what was in my dream. And she said that makes a lot of sense, especially for sensitive, anxious types. They project into the future when they're worried about something. You may have been worried about your trip. Mm -hmm. And so your astral body went out ahead of you to find out, okay, you're going to see this. And that that makes so much sense. Provide some reassurance, you know? That makes so much sense. So. Isn't that crazy? I'm, I was just about to share with you um, a book, oh. Living in a Mindful Universe, A Neurosurgeon's Journey into the Heart of Consciousness by Eben Alexander. He is a neurosurgeon with over 35 years of practice and research contributions to the field. Before, he had an experience where he was in a coma for seven days due to men- meningomeningitis, a extremely fatal form of infection of the cerebral spinal fluid in the brain and spinal cord. Um, before that happened to him, he was, he was, he was a proud, just proponent of materialist science. Um, and when he found himself in a coma, he went on to have an extremely conscious experience, which was like a dream state. However, having done scientific research on his memories since then in controlled and quadruply blinded studies have found that the memories that he experienced while his brain was making, his neocortex in particular, was was showing zero activity in a coma. And yet he remembers these experiences as if he was experiencing them. And the memories that he holds from those experiences far outweigh any others from his life as far as potency and um, vividness. Um, So he went on to help with studies of people who have had near-death experiences and have experienced a conscious journey of some kind. And what he's found um, throughout multiple studies is that the memories people experience in states of near death or coma continue to be more vivid than any other memories they've ever experienced. And so there seems to be something even more real in these sleep state experiences than so-called actual real life experiences, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, the subconscious, right? Yeah. Would that be considered? I yeah. think so. I mean, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, when it, so jumping a little bit to Dolores Cannon and her work in hypnotism. And um, so her and her husband started in the early 60s um, regression therapy and past life therapies. I was fascinated with hypnotism. Oh. That was oh, my yeah. first fascination. And so yeah. they were at the beginning beginning of it okay and so she for the rest of her life when her her husband was the psychiatrist she was just kind of like a little assistant but then he passed away and she went on to continue his work as a novice um practitioner 
And uh, she wrote many, many, many books. They're really fun to, to listen to. But she calls the subconscious, like, the, the, the entity that she is getting in touch with when these people are going into this hypnotic state is their subconscious who's lived thousands of lives, multiple lives or whatever. But she always calls it the subconscious whenever they come forward as the higher aspect of themselves who understands that they were in this life, but they'll be in another one. Like she called it the subconscious. So I always thought that was interesting. It wasn't that funny. A higher state of the self is in the subconscious. Yeah. It's just, I know it's a part of us. You're right. It's a part of our (laughs) awareness that knows everything more yeah. it's elevated and yet we're calling it as this you're right this there's that word thing again knowing. like we don't why do we we don't have to call it the subconscious yeah i like, get let's really rewrite excited. these definitions you know yeah exactly yeah let's do that yeah, yeah. that one's yeah. getting to me so i might do that <laughs> have you read um uh, my i know what you're about to say insight? i knew you were gonna what? say that yeah really yeah. yeah it reminds me so much of that that one i actually haven't I've had migraines with aphasia where you can't mm-hmm. speak um, and like really bad mm-hmm. auras and all kinds of, I mean, they're almost like a drug trip, even though I've never done drugs. I just kind of assumed like that's what people look for, some like mm-hmm. wild, otherworldly, hallucinogenic mm-hmm. experience mm-hmm. of sorts. But she was so, so eloquent at describing exactly what she remembers like mm-hmm. flipping and falling away from her conscious mind and becoming just colors. And she remembers intellectually holding on to the memories, going, okay, this is not because she was a studied, you know, a brilliant scientist and researcher and doctor herself or whatever her credentials, she remembered um, or she was aware of the process mm. that was happening. So she knew she was having a stroke. She couldn't figure out how to dial the numbers or push the numbers on the Mm -hmm. phone because that had gone. Um, She saved herself Mm -hmm. from, you know, severe damage. She still had to rehabilitate for a long time. But I think she had a leg up because she realized where it was occurring and had Mm -hmm. awareness of, okay, I'm not thinking in numbers or words, but I'm seeing colors and visual shapes. Mm-hmm. So I think my left hemisphere of my mm-hmm. brain has been, you know, mm-hmm. wiped mm-hmm. out right And now. that right so. there speaks to the healing power of awareness. I mean, she she's also a doctor, correct? I think so. Yeah, I think she's I, a neuro something or other. Neuroscientist. Yeah. yeah. So I think because she had the awareness of what it might feel like if you were having a stroke, she was able to recognize it so early and also to the point where she was able to diagnose you know something but that awareness piece is just mind-blowing to me and what I'm starting to think is that awareness is like a human trait or a, a living being a trait of a person or a thing with with a mind or a brain and then like consciousness is the field constantly giving us information and our awareness is like the built up skill of using what we have in this body to make sense of what consciousness is bringing into our experience in this moment 
That's great. And even though um, in her case, it was intellectual, like mm-hmm. education built awareness, mm-hmm. um, you could argue that animals have instinct that is so strong that it supersedes our ability to be aware. It's a survival mechanism. Mm, mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it keeps them alive and safe and mm-hmm. pushes them to where they need to be and able to surmount things they normally aren't able mm-hmm. to, you know, like a squirrel getting away from a hawk and like doing a flip and he makes it, and, you know, like something mm-hmm. he might not normally do, but it's mm-hmm. there. It's like, oh gosh, I have to mm-hmm. act quickly. And that's yeah. because he's aware. And yeah. I think humans have had that kind of stripped from them because of living in modern conveniences and stuff yeah. like that. It's like we're we're not aware of all the things that are possible to be aware of. And like, you know, like we talked about before, you can't you can't create something without being aware of mm-hmm. what you want it to be or you can't change something without being aware of how it's affecting you. Like awareness is essential for creating and for changing and for healing and and I just think that it's it's so interesting that you know, we're hopefully moving towards this world where we are educating ourselves on how to be aware of ourselves and and what that could mean towards what we have to offer ourselves and our health and, yeah. the, fam- and our, the health of I our w- family members. I was members. thinking of that like with the person with stroke of insight um, that when you said, you know, her awareness is what saved her essentially because she was aware of what was happening. That also goes for people in the medical profession who can use that to envision sort of how that person could use help, like um, to not only diagnose, but prognoses and and um, just assist with the healing process and, and envision because of their awareness because they're able to use empathy and awareness and put mm-hmm. that into another person, their humanity into that other person and go, oh my gosh, I see how this could turn out. And so let me step in and try to alter that course or prevent such and such from yeah. happening. It's, and that's manifestation. That's mm-hmm. creation. Mm-hmm. That's reality. That's what yeah. we are here to do. And it's, in my opinion, it's, you know, it's like, and if we all got better at working together, yeah, we could create a reality that is more joyful for everyone and not just purposeful, serviceable, everything. Oh, gosh. I mean, intentional. Yeah. And that's why I think those of us who are passionate about asking these questions and exploring all of the ways we are connected to each other and responsible for each other um and ourselves obviously I just feel like it's important I feel like these conversations are important yeah and I think even things like that back to this thing that I say all the time like to see things as happening for you for you rather than to you I mean I have to find out Mm -hmm. who said that originally Mm -hmm. but um to see things as a gift instead of a curse, 
Um, so to have mm-hmm. things like like things Monica mentioned, having anxiety, that gives me a gift of foresight because if I'm over hypersensitive and worried and fearful all the time as a child, that's actually my superpower. Like I can look into the future, see how to best avoid things that will be frightening to me or upsetting, you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, I I mean I totally totally understand that. And I think you know, there's there's a there's a line between am I worrying about something that is not my my respon- my place to worry about? Yeah. Yeah, something and sometimes it does get dysfunctional and those lines blur, but at of the course. same time it's like of course. definitely a survival skill or mm-hmm. a, it's something we can tap into. And I think if people turn their backs on their own multifaceted mm-hmm. emotional life and functions and and say, no, I'm healthy-minded, I don't have issues, you know, like, mm-hmm. and they deny mm-hmm. those parts, then they may be missing out on ways to connect. They're too scared Absolutely. to get upset or cry or freak out, you know, then mm-hmm. it might yeah. be their loss and they might not ever. Right, but it's also their awareness that is affecting their ability to define how their life is or, or this or that. That's totally that's totally theirs, um, unless they're asking for help or guidance. Those really, you need it. You just, they need it. You just assume that they are a guiding entity for someone else mm-hmm. who's even like maybe farther along, um, or maybe you know the, the their awareness journey. That's true. I don't know. No, sometimes right. structure is like guidance in itself, limits mm-hmm. or boundaries, and put up mm-hmm. limits or boundaries, that can be a wonderful model. It's happened to me where I'm like, oh, okay. Like one of Chad's great things he ever said to me was take comfort in the known. And I'm like, oh, oh, okay, okay. I can get that. I can get behind that because otherwise I was spiraling into like, what if, what if, what if, what if, what if. Have you ever heard of um, Gary Zukov, um, Seed of the Soul? author of The Seed of the Soul. Yeah, I have heard that title, yeah. In his book, Eben talks about once he had kind of established himself as a presenter and researcher in consciousness, he decided to meet up with Gary Zukov and his wife for like a dinner party to just talk about this stuff. And he brought his son along with him, who had, who had never really been in this field of understanding. He's just kind of like a regular kid. And um, so Evan Alexander is, is recently a developer of binor- binaural beats, mm-hmm. which is um, s- sounds that are meant to help put one into a hypnagogic state. So his son was just doing this like super initial test of like what what happens when you fall asleep listening to these binaural beats that that we have designed to help put your mind into a passive state so he was like okay whatever so he went to sleep he wakes up and he says well oh he wasn't supposed to fall asleep but he did but that doesn't matter um so he ended up falling asleep and when he woke up he said well that's odd I feel like I was just taking a tour of of Gary's house and, and so he started to name off all of these things he saw in his dream. And he was describing paintings in the study that he had never seen before. And, and then he started listing like all of these different 
things and they're like oh well that's not that's not in this house and it just so happened like after lunch or whatever they went into like this back studio like 150 yards away from the main house and when he was walking up to it he was like I know exactly what this is going to look like inside because I was just there 10 minutes ago like in his dream space so he was seeing in his dream what he was about to see like a half an hour later and so he was describing you know so like it's interesting like why like why why did he why was he taken to the inside of Gary Zukov's art studio in his dream just so he could yeah it goes back to being able to control these things or not like Like we just don't have the control I just wonder if a part of him was like well they're gonna ask me they're gonna want to know that I saw things that I couldn't like like why why was it why did he go there instead of who knows where but I don't know. I feel like um, I feel like we've we've delved into some pretty cool conversations today, and yeah, I want to add one little thing that I forgot um, when we were talking about the energy hanging on to something like a place or a thing. When my mom moved from the house that I grew up in Charlotte in, um, in historic neighborhood called Dilworth, um, we had been there for many years, and it had only been owned by two people before her, and it was built in, like, Mm -hmm. the early 20th century. And it literally, when she was moving out, it cried. Did I tell you this? Where? No. So I wasn't living in the home at the time, but she was packing her things, and where the phone hung, it was a rotary phone with the cord on the pantry wall, um, where... So much happened and so much emotion and so many conversations and connections. <laughs> she noticed droplets just as if the wall was crying. And she started crying. She was like, I know, this is <laughs> really intense. Like, and almost mm-hmm. like wanted to hug the house. <laughs> like, um, And then when you go to other houses that just feel... Uh, my my son William shares this with me, where my mom moved into like a new home without that kind of history, and I felt the same way that he feels coming to this house because while there may be some interesting things that have come and gone in this house, we both feel that it's like blank. Like, we can't sense anything. Mm. And Hmm. I have noticed that when things like a fire or remodeling happen, it's almost like it wipes out the energetic reverberances. So I just Mm -hmm. want to bring that up. Like, I wonder if there's Mm -hmm. certain chemicals or elements that can wipe away a memory of something in the energetic. Who knows? Yeah. I wonder, too. I mean, I know, you know, they say in the paranormal world that renovations stir up, are likely to stir up the intensity or frequency of the energies left behind Mm -hmm. in in homes. And so I I wonder if it's because they know that once the renovations happen, their connection to that place won't be as strong. So maybe there's... They leave, it's an exodus. Right, but maybe, but before the exit happens, there's a lot of 
energy from these people who may not have let go that mm. aspect of their lives yet you know like maybe you know it's just it depends on the level of awareness of the people who lived there before like if the people who lived in your house before were like hell no I'm not leaving and when they pass away they don't realize that they're not yeah physical yeah. like if you think you're physical then you're physical yeah there was also the why... red lady who lived at that home that I grew up in yeah what? Mm -hmm. Okay, we haven't even talked about that. Yeah, that now my cool. my best friend when we moved to Charlotte, she ended up. It was her father was an architect. He built her a swing in her bedroom, and it was just her and her dad. And they ended up moving to apartments. They had to sell the home. We moved in. I became best friends with her. So we we watched her a lot. My mom did because she was a stay at home mom, and my sister and I and her were kind of like all siblings in a way and um she had you know she was like five so she had these stories um oh yeah yeah the red lady um she would talk about the room that became my mom that had a little fireplace in it and she's like yeah when I was sick I used to come in here and like the red lady would always come and we were kind of like wow <laughs> okay <laughs> Yeah, it was That's one of those neat. wild things. So that house That's definitely neat. has some stories. Mhm, mm mhm. Mm well, thank you so much for having this conversation on com. Thank you so much for having this conversation on consciousness with me today. And I think there's probably many more to come because this is my absolute favorite thing to talk about. Sure, consciousness likely is connected to everything, um, but I like talking about human consciousness because I really feel like even though we have so much to learn from the animals and thank goodness for native peoples and indigenous peoples who continue to share their understanding of the importance of respecting the the healing the knowledge and the wisdom of animals I mean consciousness evolved in them first you know and it eventually turned into us like humans we're we're you know we're still new like we're not we're not the kings of the kingdom here well let me let me just say that i like it's nothing that i'm intentionally like choosing over another thing i just like you know, how people mm -hmm. identify as this or that i identify mm -hmm. as more strongly mm -hmm. as an animal than i do a human so it's mm -hmm. just that's just how I'm wired. So maybe, yeah, maybe we could have even richer um, conversations because I mm -hmm. come from kind of this hybrid being mm -hmm. <laughs> thought process about everything. Like, I think that's great. Huh. And I think, you know, I definitely learn a lot because you have this understanding and connection with the, with the animal realm, you know? And so I really appreciate that about you. And I just... But I feel like we are one of the more complex, de complexly developed animals, I think. Yeah. And so I think with that comes even greater power for creation. But I think part of it is, is our ability to um, speak and write mm -hmm. and, you know, mm -hmm. the communication level um, mm -hmm. is kind of off the charts compared to other 
you know, in our, and I don't want to say like I'm not into this. I'm so into this because I, I grew up with thoughts that I couldn't articulate out of my, outside of my own consciousness. So it's mm-hmm. like incredibly validating and therapeutic to find another being here who's also a human and loves to communicate <laughs> and discuss and analyze all this stuff um, that gets it out of my head. And mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I think as far as how we always talk about like things um, to be kind of an antidote to what troubles us or, or like what, what we need, um, mm-hmm. something we're deficit in means we need to gravitate towards that. So mm-hmm. deficient. And um, so I'm thinking that that is why I went empress, animal, you know, like bodily, physical, earth, here, in mm-hmm. the present, because all of my childhood was spent spinning in my head um, mm-hmm. about consciousness and awareness and, like, almost to the detriment of everything. <laughs> Just, like, that's all mm-hmm. I could do was constantly process these ideas. And so it had nowhere mm-hmm. to really go without someone to discuss it with so mm-hmm. I think that's why I mm-hmm. turned to nature and just like just make it stop <laughs> but well I think you're really onto something though I think I think communing with nature is one of those things that is going to help us find a more balanced reality for balance yeah all beings you know I really mm-hmm. do th- it's my balm it's my soul yeah know? well I kind of wanted to wrap up this conversation on consciousness with thoughts on sort of the, I don't like using the word ideal, but maybe the ideal consciousness state. And, you know, you hear about all of these spiritual or, or religious concepts of all is love and the point of everything is love. And like, what does that mean? Like, what does that mean? And love and light. Right. Like, <laughs> wow. what, okay, Leah, what does that mean? And the best explanation I think I've ever found is from Mary Reed. She is a woman who had a near-death experience and and ended up coming back with just this desire to spread her newfound understanding of love and her idea of the important things in life. And she calls love cherishing awareness. So actively cherishing awareness. So like gratitude when, for it. Yeah. So exactly. So when we're conscious of our immediate moment and we cherish it just for being. Yeah. We cherish it. We're so that means As so love it's enough. There's no yeah, need exactly. to expect anything of it. Like if we can if we can use the gift of our consciousness to be aware of how much we're either cherishing or rejecting our present moment, there's a lot of room for healing there and discovering our values. So I'll just leave that there. Um, So thanks, Eliza. Well, bye, everyone. See you next time.